0: You are listening to episode number 61 of the Secondary Science Simplified Podcast. I am excited because this episode is the first of two guest episodes this month. Today's interview is with someone I have followed on Instagram forever and who I've always thought of as the Demo Queen, and that is Dr. Erica Colon, whom you may know better as Nitty Gritty Science. Dr. Erica Colon is a National Board Certified Teacher with over 12 years of teaching experience in 6th through 12th grade science. In 2012, she founded Nitty Gritty Science LLC, which is a science curriculum publishing company, and she uses her social media platform to share science teaching resources and ideas. In this episode, Erica shares a wealth of wisdom on demos, and particularly about rethinking how you approach them in order to decrease overwhelm for you and increase engagement for your students. She shares specific advice for middle school science teachers versus high school science teachers, since she has experience teaching both, and she even shares a bit about what she's doing now to serve elementary science teachers through Nitty Gritty Science Junior. If you've ever seen one of my Instagram posts and wondered where I get my awesome science t-shirts, 95% of them are from her Nitty Gritty Science merchandise line. She brings so much to the science community, which you can tell in a second if you just glance at her Instagram and TikTok pages. And I'm excited for you to hear why in this episode. So without further ado, let's get to my interview with Dr. Erica Cologne of Nitty Gritty Science. How are you?
1: Great! Thank you so much for having me
0: today, Rebecca. This is—I'm going to have so much fun with this today. Well, I'm thrilled you're here and that it was able—you were able to make it work despite our very different time zones. Um, so, yeah, which I forgot about. So, <laughs> I will let you know. Moving to Texas, I still think I'm on East Coast time many times. So, <laughs> I know. Well, I'm—I'm just—it worked out, and so I'm so glad you're here and. So for my listeners who may not know who you are, although I'm sure most of them do, why don't you just introduce yourself and just kind of share like a background of your career history, where you are now, what your teaching teaching experience was like, and just anything about your background in education that would be helpful for everyone listening who may not have heard of you or Nitty Gritty Science. Sure thing. My name is Erica Cologne,
1: and I started teaching in 2000. And at that time, my husband was just joining the Navy. So my teaching career took me over many states. I've taught in Florida. I've taught in Texas. I've taught in Hawaii. I've taught in New York. Um, I, I've taught in a lot of different states. And I think I have taught pretty much every science discipline out there. And even so, even when I was teaching in Hawaii, that I got a grant from a uh, shark company, and they actually let me build my own course. So I got to build and create marine science out there, Mm -hmm. which was one of my favorite things to do. So when I say I've taught pretty much every science discipline, and I've taught every secondary grade level six through 12, I've done them all. And so there was a point where I kind of felt like I wanted to take the next step, I wanted to kind of move forward in education. And I thought the logical step would be to go into administration. Mm-hmm. So I went and got my master's in administration. And I probably shadowed for about two weeks and immediately said, absolutely not. This is <laughs> not where I want to be. I want to be back working with teachers and students. I did not want to be in any admin role whatsoever. That is does not fit my... Personality. And I think it's because honestly, I give it to some admin out there. It takes a different kind of patience to run administration, working with people. So that wasn't for me. So I went back and thought, well, what can I do next? And so I knew that I wanted to work with science teachers. And because moving all the time, I was always kind of the new person coming into the schools and was always given kind of that role where i was giving multiple disciplines to teach nobody was there to help me i was always creating curriculum on my own stealing begging and borrowing from things <laughs> um and just kind of you know i'm still back in the day where you're cutting and pasting questions out of tests and oh stuff goodness. and and photocopying and and so i just felt that there was really a need for working and helping with science teachers, because when they come out of, you know, the science teaching program, you're kind of just thrown into it. And yes. if it was the same as my science teaching program, you were taught maybe how to make one unit. And then that was it. There's like, make a unit. You're good. <laughs> go, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. So everybody would just kind of, and then and then it wasn't even very good instructions on how to make a unit. It was just like, you need to pick a unit and build a unit and how you would teach it. And I went to an education school and it wasn't really like, go teach your unit now to see if it works. Mm -hmm. They just really wanted to see the paper plan of it. And so I never even was able to execute it to see if it even worked. Mm -hmm. All I know is my teacher liked mine because (laughs) I had some hands-on things in it, which Mm -hmm. at that time, again, was cutting and pasting and, and doing something. So... I really felt like you are not prepared very well to be a teacher, any teacher, really, before you're thrown to the students. And you really have to just kind of swim. And and some people can swim and some people tread for a long time and, and some people sink and they find out it's not for them either. So right. long story short, I really wanted to work with science teachers. So I went back and I decided to get my doctorate to work with specifically pre-service science teachers, and really kind of build this program that could help them feel as confident as they could to walk into a science classroom and feel like, okay, I have these tools, I'm going to teach, this is a model that feels successful for me to teach, yada, yada, yada. So I really thought I was going to be a big game changer here in this program. I you know, I had a job lined up for me at UH, this is the way it was going to go. Then at that time, I ended up having my first child. And I was pregnant with her at the time. So the job was going to be, you know, my husband was in the Navy, we were going to go up to Washington, we were going to go for a couple years up there, then I was going to come back teach at, you know, UH, hopefully, and the big plan was going to happen where, you know, I was going to be helping science teachers all over the state of Hawaii. Well, Life does its thing and throws you that curveball, And my daughter's born. She was sick and it just, we just couldn't go back to Hawaii. It was not feasible for us to go back to Hawaii. And it was not feasible for me to go back to work at that time. I had to spend a lot of time home with her. She's very healthy now, but I'm, you know, still have to work from home. And, and so it wasn't going to work that way. So while I'm at home, and now I'm home from the hospital with my daughter. She was there for a long time. Then we're home now. And it was at a point where I'm just like, I wasn't working and I didn't know what to do. So my brain started being like, listen, I can't just sit here and stare at my child all the time and make sure she's healthy. Like my brain was not working very healthily. Yeah. So um, came across this article. And the article was, hey, this teacher is creating curriculum and selling online. And I thought, all right, I, you know what? I could do this. I could make some lesson plans and sell them online. And that is when I went ahead and learned more about Teachers paid Teachers. And that is when I started Nitty Gritty Science in 2012. And it's all been downhill from there. So there is how I got from teaching into Nitty Gritty Science, where I am now loving absolutely loving what I do and helping so many more science teachers than I could ever have dreamed possible. I am just, I would not give this up for the world. I absolutely love it.
0: It's so wild how we make plans and Mm -hmm. they get changed on us, (laughs) especially (laughs) when children become a part of it. Um, I remember when I was, when we moved across the state, I had, I left the public school system to take a private school job. And so many of the more seasoned teachers were like, don't do it. You'll lose your state pension. And I was like, honestly, like, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'll make it 25 years to get it anyway. So like, right. I'm just gonna, because things change so much. And I'm so glad I made that choice because it's changed 15 times since then too. I love hearing your story though, because we have so many connection points. You may not even realize you, your are your task cards were the first resource I ever bought on Teachers Pay Teachers. As oh, a teacher. that's <laughs> interesting. Like, I didn't know what task cards were. And one of, like, my coworkers was like, oh, you should do some task cards. And I was like, I don't know what that is. And they are like, oh, just find some on Teachers Pay Teachers. So I literally looked up, like, you know, chemical reactions task cards or something. And one of your physical science things came up. I was like, oh, this is cool. It, it gets them out of their seats. And I'm like, yeah. and that was, like, the first, you know three dollars uh, I yeah that's amazing way well, before thank you for that three dollars you're so welcome the two dollars <laughs> and 40 cent commission you made on that also another connection point is for everyone listening i get so many comments on my instagram about my science t shirts and they're oh, all yes. from you so if you're <laughs> listening she has nitty-gritty science merchandise and that's yes, where and i get, get all my team. science t-shirts your teacher yeah yeah that was just kind of
1: a fun thing um my best friend from sixth grade, she is actually my creative uh, designer. And um, she's been working with me on social media for years. And she really kind of does social media and that sort of thing for me. And we just have all these fun Instagram posts that she makes. And I said, I love this one. And uh, Instagram is one of those things you see it 24 hours Mm -hmm. and then it just disappears. And I was like, that was so good. I said, we should make these into t-shirts. And that's what we did with some of them. And it's just really like this kind of fun side gig because I like wearing science t-shirts when I'm on video too. too. And, (laughs) and we just, we just enjoy making them. Um, I will say though, my husband's always like, you need to make some more for some guys out there. So, you know, we're working on those designs men who are listening we're getting the more different designs for you because he says you make them sometimes too he says you make them too uh swirly sometimes <laughs> swirly. <laughs> swirly
0: well i will say i i love them i love that i can trust the scientific accuracy i hate when you like find something just you know on google and you're like wait that part of it's wrong or mm-hmm. it's funny but it's not true like i hate the images that people always post of like i wish studying was like osmosis and I'm like, osmosis is the diffusion of water. And so <laughs> yeah. you know, that doesn't work. Yeah. Knowledge doesn't work like that. People. Right. <laughs> it, like, I'm like, I get where you're trying to go with this joke, but it's wrong. And then the other thing I love is, so if, the, if you're listening, I love that you, you can pick like any color background. Like, that's so yep. fun. So I, like, you just do the graphics, but then I can pick any color shirt I want, which I think yes. is so cool.
1: So yes. if you need to have mm-hmm. like
0: a school color shirt, you know, for Friday spirit day, be so want it to be sciencey, you could get. Red or you know whatever. exactly, exactly as that. long as it goes with the graphic. Yeah, we it's just kind of like this
1: little fun bonus thing that we love to do. And oh, uh, you know, we just kind of you sometimes you won't see a design for a lot while because we're busy, and then we'll say we need a new t-shirt. So yeah, I, if you guys need teacher teacher tees, you know, science teacher tees specifically, yeah, yes. <laughs> I love
0: those. Okay, so another <laughs> follow up question: I don't think you mentioned um, t- tell listeners about nitty gritty science junior and when you started doing that. Well, that
1: was kind of a new thing last couple years.
0: Um, And again, it
1: was kind of inspired by my kids, because Ava, who's my oldest, she started going into school. And this is kind of something I'm learning more as I, you know, work with teachers, and I get more into education. So there is a secondary teaching and the elementary teaching. And the worlds never really meet. Mm -hmm. And unless you're in like a K through 12 school, and maybe even then they don't really meet. So in the whole time I was teaching, I never really went and talked with elementary teachers. I never, you know, worked with them. And then um, I start having my daughter go to school. And so I have to meet her teachers and I'm starting to learn the process of how elementary teachers teach Mm -hmm. and how the subjects what they choose to teach and what subjects they are mandated to teach. And I really think that elementary teachers are a special type of teacher because, I mean, talk about multitasking and having to kind of keep the day organized for these kids all day while trying to you know, help them learn throughout the day is just amazing to me. And so what happens though, when I'm talking to them is we all know math and reading, math and reading, math and reading, math and reading, math and reading. This is what the major focus is in elementary. That is going to be always and forever. The main focus is math and reading, but I still assumed there was still science every day. And this is just again my assumption. I still assumed they were getting social studies every day, even though it was in there. But when I start going and seeing the, you know, reality of it day today, it was not happening. I would say my daughter was getting science maybe once a week. And it was only for like 20 minutes a day. And it wasn't even science. It was actually like a reading passage about science. It was a reading passage about matter, solids, liquids, and gases. I think She's gotten solids, liquids, and gases over and over again. And that is not a knock on the teachers. Uh, this is something that I'm noticing that the elementary teachers are only given so many materials to teach this. So number one, they don't have the resources, even if they wanted to. And and if you do have an elementary teacher that is really into the science and stuff, well, that's probably because they want kind of focus that as their background is in science. Two, sometimes they are asked and, you know, told by their administration, do not focus on science, you need to focus on more math and reading. Mm-hmm. And so and then the third thing I run into when I'm talking to them is they just don't have the background knowledge to learn the topics, all the topics and even if they wanted to, which many of them do, they do not have the time to do it. And so we kind of jumped in and said, hey, we need to start giving these resources for elementary teachers and giving them that, that background knowledge as best we can. And so we wanted to kind of help elementary teachers kind of move forward and start working with science in the classroom. Now, fourth and fifth grade are adding more and more science in because, of course, we have testing and that sort of thing. And so there's more in there. But, you know, even this last year, my daughter had a fifth grade test and she was just given like a packet of vocab words. It was like, I'd say it was like six pages of vocab words. And this is what she needed to study for, for science her science test and this is her her state science test was this packet of vocab words. And so I'm looking at this packet of vocab words and I said, I've never seen you come home with anything like this this entire year. Like, when did you learn this? And she was like, Oh, well, my teacher just said, um, we just learned it a couple days ago. So we're at the end of the school year and this teacher is trying to cram all this information in for the test. And it's just a lot of different issues that are coming up with it. And even like when COVID had happened, you know, the teachers were actually told, do not teach science, like when they had to do virtual school and stuff, do not teach science, take it out of there. Like, don't even go it, you know, don't touch it, just focus on math and reading the entire time. And this, and this is just, I'm going to tell you, this is my own personal experience. Right. This is not, I'm not saying this is, you know, a uh, worldwide or even national, Issue. This is what I had seen for myself. And so I felt like, you know, not only elementary, but middle school and high school and stuff that during that time, that virtual time that we were really going to lose a lot of kids that wanted to be scientists. And I know I'm going off a whole nother path here because I could talk about this all day, but <laughs> we wanted to kind of jump into elementary science to start helping science teachers with those tools, the elementary science teachers, because I know they don't have the time. I've right. seen them. I've, I've seen they're just going and going and going. And so that's kind of where it's gone. And, and it's still evolving right now, our Nitty grade science junior. And that's kind of going to be our main focus over these next couple of years now, uh, because we think that the elementary science teachers, they are so good at getting up there, engaging students and acting and just have that energy that right. you put their energy with science teaching. Oh, my gosh. The amount of scientists that could start coming out of these elementary schools is just going to explode, I think. Totally. So. When
0: well, you don't blame those teachers for what if they do cut science, because they're getting so heavily tested on the math and reading. So it makes sense. So I love that you're providing the support though to help them keep it in there, you know, and make it easier for them. Correct.
1: Yeah. And and what we think is what we're trying to do is because I know they have math and reading is we're trying to add so much math and reading into it because you can't have science without math and reading. And so if you want to tie it all together, like, let's show them like, let's show the administration. So I have the evidence, I'm going to give it to the teachers, they can take that right down to their admin and say we are doing math and reading i mean this is what we're doing and 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 so we're going to give them that background and kind of evidence to to support that so they can add that into their classroom
0: it's so true i feel like especially with math i mean i had so many when i taught eighth grade physical science i had so many students that were taking algebra one while they're in my physical science class And we often were rearranging equations for unknowns before they even were in math. Mm -hmm. But it was so funny because a math teacher would come to me and the kids, it made so much more sense for them to rearrange force equals mass times acceleration to find mass than it was for them to look at an equation with like X, Y, and B, you know? And I'm like, you're doing the exact same thing, but it was so cool. It's just so, I love science because it integrates so many things. I mean, obviously we love science. Of course. I mean, it is our favorite. It's the best subject to teach. But that's the problem, I think, because it is
1: so content specific. And so yeah. it's rarely crossed over. And so students don't even make connections because science sits here, right. math sits here, social studies sits here, you know, and so there's never I mean, there has been some drives in education sometime to do these cross curricular units and to and there's different models for cross curricular. But It always seems to go back to traditional teaching. Nope, I'm in my classroom. I'm going to teach this. And so, you know, that is something, again, that if you start at the elementary level and just tie it all together, the students will start seeing that you you can't do science without math and all reading is going to involve you being curious and you finding evidence clues and finding the data that supports it to support your argument. And it all ties together, so Absolutely. you know we just we just have to start at the foundation, I think.
0: I love that. And well, I'm glad you're providing that support because well, I we're going hire there's do a lot it. of
1: teachers yeah, there's a lot of teachers that are like, "Where's more?" And I was like, "You know, guys, we're so, going um, as as to we can. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, so I'm so excited to talk to you specifically because I feel like when I think of teachers in the education space. I think of you as like the demo queen. And I know, especially for first year teachers, demos can be so intimidating. And a lot of these teachers get thrown in these subjects that they don't feel comfortable with the content. So Mm -hmm. they definitely don't feel comfortable doing a demo, aka a performance. Oftentimes it feels like dangerous materials, you know, in front of their students. And it's especially hard when those students are middle school and high schoolers. It's a tough audience. So I would just love to hear any advice you have for demos in general for, and especially first year teachers or teachers new to a subject they're teaching, how to approach demos with more comfort and less nerves. Yes.
1: Well, that is one thing that, as you know, I have been working a long time with teachers because one, it depends on what you're doing, but there's a couple, there's a couple challenges that I think teachers believe there are with demos. One, it's going to have the demo prepped for all their different classes. So they Mm -hmm. think, well, I got to prep it again and again and again and again again each time. So that's a big challenge. Two is finding the materials and resources for it. And then three, not just knowing it, but what if the demo doesn't work in front of my students? Mm -hmm. I'm going to look like or I'm going to be perceived as a failure. Like I don't know what I'm doing as a science teacher. It's going to be embarrassing. It's going to uh, show that I don't have credibility. And so I'm going to stick with this one demo that I know is foolproof. I know it works and that's the one I'm going to do with. And then that's it. And so you start finding teachers that just think if they try a demo and it doesn't work, that... You, they're going to be perceived a certain way and by the students. And I have found over the dozen plus years that I'm teaching, absolutely not. I have had so many countless demos that have failed over and over again. And it is nothing, absolutely nothing but a learning experience yeah. for everyone in the classroom. Mm-hmm. The kids even love it better when it fails, actually, because I, I swear they are excited because they know they're going to try to get they're going to get to see a chance to see it again, right? They're going to be right. like, it's almost like, okay, okay. So y- you can talk to me like, Oh, my gosh, that guy, guys, let me start over. That didn't work. Let's try it again. What do you think? And then you can talk about it. But never once in all the years that I have done demos, and done it of students have a student ever laughed at me Has a student ever said, you know, said something negatively, like I didn't know what I was doing. They, I have never had that kind of feedback from the students. They'll ask me like, well, why didn't that work? Or what did you forget? They'll ask me things like that. Like, did you forget something? Did you do something? Mm -hmm. And so it turns into a learning experience. So when you are starting to work, there are a lot of demos that can take a lot of materials and there are demos that can just take one or two things. So they, you know, I, I notice I feel like there's a lot of pressure on teachers because when you go look online and you search up demos, right? The number one demo that's going to come up right now is elephant toothpaste. <laughs> elephant toothpaste is everywhere. You can't get away from elephant toothpaste. And everybody is feeling like we need the messiest, we need the smelliest, the stinkiest, you know, in the the... Biggest explosion for a demo to be successful. And that is just not true. That's such a misconception. All the the demos that work the best are the ones that get the students just being like, huh, how did you just do that? Or how did that just work? And they don't have to be big whiz-bang demos at all. It's the demos that just get the kids thinking a little bit. And so I want people to be curious when I do the demos. I want them to think what is going on. And so one of the more, like just a more recent popular demo that I've done on TikTok has taken a hammer, a potato, and a knife. That's (laughs) it. Everybody can get a hammer, a potato, and a knife. And I'm doing a demo for inertia and I stab the knife into a potato and I tell them I'm going to hammer the handle. So I'm pointing the knife down with the potato at the bottom of the knife. And I'm going to hammer the top of the knife. And I'm going, I ask, what do you think is going to happen to this potato? And most often the answer is when I knock the knife, the potato is going to come flying off the knife. So I don't ask, I just say, okay, watch what happens. So I start hammering the handle of the knife. And the potato actually looks like it is moving up the knife. It looks like the potato is climbing up the blade of the knife. All right. This one, again, I didn't go burn something. I didn't explode. I didn't make a huge mess all over my classroom. And that has gotten so many questions of what is going on with that. So it's a very simple demo. And so it's not the big flashy ones because you'll notice... When people do those, there's never a question afterwards. There's never a thought to say, what happened? Nobody gives a chance for somebody to ask why. They're just like, my idea is I'm going to make the biggest explosion ever. And they think that is a a science demo. And there was never a time afterwards to say, well, why did that happen? or how did that happen? And that is the whole idea of a demo is to do something that just leaves a student asking a question at the end. How did that happen? Why did that happen? And that is where you can start real small, just using very simple things, because people see demos, which we call phenomena all around Mm -hmm. us every single day, all day, you could go outside and they're happening all around you. You know, they're happening in your house. They're happening, you know, walking through the school and stuff, but we never stop to ask why this is happening. And so, um, you know, I I had another one the other day. I just took like one of those little tiny, you know, plasma balls that are like $9 at Target and you just take a fluorescent light bulb. And I have the fluorescent light bulb in my hand. That's two things, not flashy, not messy. And I just hold the fluorescent light bulb next to the plasma ball and the fluorescent light bulb will light up. Again, just two items and it gets, well, how, how did that happen? How did that light bulb light up? And so what I want something to make students ask why and how afterwards and so that's where you need to start looking for demos in, in just at the end to say why did that happen, you know? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I start with looking at demos and and that sort of thing.
0: I love that making that the goal. Like the goal mm-hmm. is to get them asking questions. It's not mm-hmm. to have, you know, do the most dangerous thing that will, you know, really knock their socks off. And I'll right. definitely link in the show notes your TikTok and in your Instagram page too because I think When I'm searching for demos, it's so much easier to watch someone like you do it as opposed to Mm -hmm. just Googling and then hearing or hearing someone in a Facebook group be like, oh, you got to do this chemical reaction demo. And I'm like, wait, but like, what should it look like? (laughs) You know, like, what are, what's the setup? It's so much easier to see a video. And so I think I'll link those to make it, you know, more helpful for teachers. And I love the simplicity too. Like, honestly, one of my most impactful demos, it sounds so boring, but it's an evolution in biology. And I use a deck of cards to explain how genetic drift happens. And Mm -hmm. it's like so simple. You're just shuffling cards and you're using different sample sizes, but you're showing how, and the kids are just like, oh, it makes so much sense too. Yes, Yes. They're like, oh, I didn't even, and just something. And again, like you said, like I grabbed those from my house. It's not anything fancy, but it's a visual that makes sense and gets them asking questions and drawing conclusions. And I think that's a really good standard to have.
1: Yes. Yes. It's just, that's what I think the teachers need to not stop thinking of demos being something that's so elaborate demos are just a visual expression of like what you're trying to show and stuff because our kids are such visual learners. And so it's just, you know, just taking something and just showing and let, letting them see the manipulation of something is just going to get their brain rewired and try to think a different way. And you just don't tell them the answer. Like, just don't give them the answer yet. Let them just kind of chew on that for a little bit and then go into your lesson. And then you can come back to it, but that's just kind of the thing that they want. And then demos are such quick bits of information, because that's how the students kind of take information in nowadays, it's just very quick, you know, chunks of information. So that kind of
0: fits right in with how they learn nowadays. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so a follow up question would be I I just know right now so many teachers I'm talking to in my inbox and DMS are just so burnt out. And so I Mm -hmm. think when they're thinking like, how do I do less of this job? One of the easy things to cut is like, they're like, I'm just going to do less demos because I don't have time to prep or like, you know, they're just burnt out. So they're not curious themselves. They're not wanting to like Google and find things, whatever. So what would be some advice you may have for a teacher that's, you know, just so burnt out. And so they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to cut demos. So
1: I think if you were to do that, it's one of those things where, I don't know how to like, I'm trying to give like kind of like a metaphor to your own life. It's like, if you were to just get up and just go, you know, for a walk, like I'm in my pajamas all day, you know, I'm just, I just need to get out of the house and just go for a walk, get some sunshine on my face. And you feel like so much better after doing it. Um, it's one of those things where I think putting the demos in again, nothing that is so elaborate, just find demos that are real simple it really kind of not only sparks you as a teacher, I, I feel like people go into teaching because of they kind of love having this captive audience that just wants information. I know that kids will be like, ah, I don't like school, ah, blah, blah, blah. you know, students do that, but students actually love learning. Mm-hmm. Students love to learn and they want to learn in a way that is engaging for them. And so, and and I'll tell you, you know, they love to learn because they're on TikTok all the time. They're on YouTube. They're watching these videos. These are learning platforms. They're learning not, and, and, you know, people say, Oh, of course they're on TikTok. They're learning how to dance or blah, blah. And, and someone who's like that has not seen this platform that has just blown up. Absolutely. Like the what you can learn on TikTok and social media yes. and that sort of thing. Just students are just always wanting to learn and they are just sponges. So I think you by taking, if you don't do those little demo parts, then. I think one, you're kind of taking away your kind of passion for teaching yourself and you are not up in front of that class doing that. And looking at the, looking at those 25, some people have 32, I don't know how many kids they have in their classrooms nowadays, Mm -hmm. 25 to 30 plus students in their classroom, just Intent on watching you and you just going explaining, and it just can start such a rich discussion for you that is going to kind of surprise you. I think, and it's going to surprise the direction that your teaching goes and get you kind of jump started. So sometimes a demo is kind of just like that little jump start we need, kind of like your little espresso to get a lesson going or something Mm -hmm. like that, because then that you have a captive audience, you are doing what you do best up there, teaching and explaining, mm-hmm. and you are kind of getting it more as a whole classroom experience now again, instead of just letting the kids work independently at their own pace, and that's there's a time for that. But when you can get them hooked with a demo to start something in a lesson and stuff, I really think that you are going to start finding you get more comfortable doing it each time. Mm -hmm. And when the students start expecting that and they are looking forward to it, I think it's just really going to revive the atmosphere of the classroom. And I'm not trying to dismiss that teachers are burnt out. Mm -hmm. They absolutely are. I'm not trying to dismiss that. If it's a day that you can't do a demo, do not do a demo There's, You know, there's those days. I'm not trying to dismiss that at all. I just, I'm trying to say if if you got that little bit, just be like, "Mm, should I do a demo? Should I not do a demo? I would highly, you know, try to press you towards do the demo. I think you're going to kind of see this energy level that maybe that's what you're kind of missing or you want from your class and your students. And that's kind of going to kind of jump start things for you a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think if you're looking at your limited amount of energy and capacity, like use it towards demos as opposed to grading, like your students are going to get more (laughs) out of the demo you did than you grading that huge stack of papers, like. Just let that one go, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so (laughs) seriously, I mean, I like every year that I taught, I graded less than the year before, and like the ratio of my happiness and contentedness and the job was like directly proportional, or it was inversely proportional (laughs) to how much I was grading. You know, Um, the less I graded, the happier I was. Okay, so I would love to hear from you. Similarly, when you're thinking back, you know, over your teaching career, but especially those first few years you were in the classroom, if you could just go back and do things differently, what would you tell, you know, early teacher, Erica? (laughs) Well,
1: you know, (laughs) early teacher, Erica was a little bit too confident for her britches. When (laughs) I go back and look at her, like she walked in feeling like she knew all that. And uh, she definitely didn't, she needed to grow up quite a bit. So it's kind of one of those things that I wish when I was young, I wish I would have, I probably did it maybe around mm, year four or five. I would say I remember walking into one of my co-teacher classrooms and stuff. And I said, hey, I got a free period. Can I just sit in here for a little bit and watch? And I think it's really important when you are in your first couple of years of teaching to just go and sit and watch a master teacher at work. and watch how they do classroom discipline yes watch how they manage just even little things passing out papers watch how they manage passing out supplies watch how they manage quieting a student who might be talking in the background and then go to a different classroom and this does not all have to be science classrooms you can just go to you know another teacher that you respect where you think man when i see that teacher Those kids like really listen, those kids really lock on when that teacher is talking or something. I And I would say, go to that teacher and be like, hey, would you mind if I just sat in for a little bit and kind of watched? And I think that was the biggest thing that I wish I would have told my younger self to just watch master teachers at work, because I kind of went in thinking, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to manage this classroom, no problem. And they're going to listen to me because I'm the teacher, they're the kids. And I really was a young yelling teacher, I was a yeller, like, and I'm thinking, what am I doing yelling all the time? (laughs) Like, this is kind of like ridiculous. And so I felt like that's how I had to control a classroom. And so over time, you know, I learned my management style and, you know, there, there was no yelling after mm. many years and stuff like that. But I wish I would have went and watched some master teachers at work because I now use a lot of the techniques that I know that they were using. And yes. I think that's the big thing. It's not about the teaching part because you can't get any teaching done unless you have that class, you know, lock on to you, ready to learn, yes. ready to, you know, focus on the class today and um, ready to be respectful. And then you be respectful in turn, because, you know, when you, it's just kind of like when you're raising your kids, like my kids, if I start yelling, they're just like, sure, mom, yeah, whatever, go ahead, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of the same yeah. in my class. When, after I was yelling so much, they were just like, oh, yeah, you know, miss is just yelling again, and and stuff like that. So it's kind of that thing. I think that would be my advice for new teachers is, you know, on a period or something,
0: Go watch those master teachers. Mm -hmm. They're master teachers for a reason. (laughs) It's so true. We actually were required to do that at the second school I taught in. We we had to observe another teacher each semester. It was part of our like, you know, continuing ed. You know, I wish more schools would do that. I wish. Well, and I remember, I remember at first thinking like, I don't have time for this, and then. Mm -hmm. I really, like you said, I learned so much. And even like I was observing math teachers, like I didn't, I did obviously my department first, but then I moved out of science over time because I'd run out of teachers to observe in my department. But it was like, just so fascinating. Like you said, just how people run classes, how they build rapport, how they even deal with like bathrooms and sending kids to bathrooms and just watching different people do things differently. It was fascinating. And I, I truly learned the most from those experiences. So I couldn't agree more. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last question I have for you. Well, and then I have one more that I ask everybody, but for you specifically, I know you've experienced, you said all grades six through 12. Would you, do you have any advice specifically for like specifically to the middle school science teachers listening? And then maybe if you have something also for high school science specifically too, anything there yeah. that you would have that you would add since you do have that? A lot of us, you know, don't teach six through 12. So we don't know, you know, I don't have, right. a lot of, I don't have anything to offer a sixth grade science teacher. So we'd love to hear what you'd have to say on that. Sure. Well, I would start if I start with middle school, you know,
1: one of the um, things I run into when I talk to middle school teachers or newer middle school teachers and that sort of thing is for some reason, everybody is just shocked, you know, that I'm having to teach the metric system all over again. I'm having to take time to teach the metric system. I'm having to I'm having to take time to teach this graphing and. Yeah, graphing, right? I'm, you know, I'm having to teach time to take graphing. I'm having time. And, and um, why, you know, why am I having to reteach this again? And so I think that is where it goes back to my first point. At the beginning of our discussion is, maybe it was on, you know, state standards or national standards that Elementary students should have learned this stuff before they come up to you in sixth grade and that sort of thing. But like I said, you have to give those teachers a little grace because Mm -hmm. they, nobody has told you that their administration told them to cut out science. Nobody has told you that their administration told them to focus on reading this whole year. And they got to give three weeks to the science class. And so you need to kind of start fresh with middle schoolers because they have really not had the science background that we feel that they should have had. Yes. And so you really do kind of need to start over when the middle schoolers come in and at the 6th, 7th, 8th grade time, they're not first second and third graders anymore. They just first second and third graders, you could tell them no, the moon is made of cheese and they'll believe you, right? But now when you're getting to sixth, seventh and eighth graders, they are already coming in with their minds made up that they know things already. They have already started forming a lot of misinformation because they're just picking and choosing from things. So they are already finding out that, or they're, they're They're coming to their own conclusions. For example, here's a really wild one that I had one time. I I had a study hall. I had this big poster on my the front of my desk, had all the animals of the kingdom and you know, they're just had them all. And I remember I'm sitting there and I'm doing something, and the kids are just having a conversation, and I heard the conversation say, Duh, lions are boys and tigers are girls. Now, this was an eighth grade class and this kid was so adamant telling everybody. And I, I had to look up and I was like, he's joking. He's definitely joking. Right. But no, when the conversation got started, it was like, this kid thought lions were all lions were boys and all tigers were girls. (laughs) And this is just this kind of idea that they have built for themselves in their own mind. And so they are at this age where they don't want to be wrong they don't want to look wrong in front of their peers they don't want to look like they don't know things they they're really starting to build their thing and so it's a very tricky age to start trying to transform their minds into ideas and you know correct things that are that has been misinformation in their head and you mm-hmm. have to kind of start over and you have to do that while Susie just broke up with so-and-so down the hall (laughs) and you know and this boy is going to have a fight with this boy they're not best friends anymore and this group is not talking to this group so you just have kind of this beast of a middle school like child that is just getting torn in so many different emotional and physical and social directions and so it's just going to be a wild ride like if you're teaching middle school they are they are a wild group to teach so it's it's kind of like knowing that you don't have the sponges you had if you were teaching elementary you have to kind of get that sponge clean out Like, you know, if you have like a dirty paintbrush, you have to clean out all that paint out of there. That's You have to keep rinsing and keep rinsing out the old bad information before you can use, you know, the new paint. Or you're going to start smearing colors on the wall and it's going to get very confusing. So you have to really kind of know that, we have to correct and teach, and correct and teach, and not just keep assuming that they already know information. So yes. that is what I feel like with middle schoolers, for sure. My advice for high school is ninth grade is still kind of on that cusp of middle and mm-hmm. high school, so you're okay with them. They're 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 kind of um, still in that area where they're still learning and teaching and stuff. The one thing that I absolutely love about high school is for some reason, this brain shifts for juniors. And I think maybe that's because they see like the light at the end of the tunnel. They see like, we're getting out of here next year. I got to start taking things serious. And um, I felt like the juniors and the seniors are already kind of checked out. So we have to bring them into to. give them the information that they think is going to be relevant to help them. So that's, I'm going to talk on that in a second, but when you start getting into like sophomore and juniors and stuff like that, like if you want a group of kids who want nothing more than to learn, like they really want to learn, like they're just like feed me everything because I am about to go out in this real world. And I feel like I have been screwing around since sixth, seventh, days, ninth, and 10th grade <laughs> that group to me is they are just like okay we're taking this serious now like just give it to us and teach us and I really think that that group is somebody that you can just really have great discussions with you can ask them their opinions and they are not going to play games with you like They're going to ask you stuff. They're going to ask you hard questions. They're going to put you on the spot. Mm -hmm. But what they're looking for are these real conversations because they want to go out in the real world having knowledge. They want to go out and they want to start feeling like, I'm going to go out there and I want to feel prepared now. I really want to feel like I know what I'm talking about when I have conversations with my peers, with my professors. If I go to college, if I go to trade school, I want to know what I'm talking about here. If I'm talking about hydraulics or if I'm talking about gas pressure and that sort of thing. So they are just sponges and... I feel at that level now, it has to be a two-way teaching experience. It cannot just be a full-on lecture experience anymore. It can't be you are just teacher-centered and I'm going to spew this information out at you. It really has to be joint effort, have discussions, be real with them, tell them life lessons you've learned show them real world examples and really just tie it in because that's what they want to do. They need to start seeing everything they've learned, start getting pieced together with what they're going to see out in the real world. And then, you know, moving on to your seniors and stuff. It's a lot more of that, but now they want to be very focused on what they enjoy the most. So try to start finding projects that they could work on, long-term projects that they could do, that they can put their time into, that they can now start tying everything together with technology and collecting data and supporting their argument and that sort of thing. Like, Let them start tying in, reading their research. What am I going to do with this data? How are you going to say that you're right? And then you know, we've been teaching them all along this whole time, hypothesis, collect your data, do your research and stuff. But a lot of times we give them guided labs, because this is going to be the most time efficient way for a teacher to do this. As a senior now, now that's just like, okay, guys, you know, you're you're doing it now, let's put it all together and do it on something that you're very passionate about. And that sort of thing. So a lot of times I, I really feel like seniors could do more of that project based learning that everybody always wants to do with their Mm -hmm. kids. And then we just don't have time because we do have a lot of those, you know, standardized testing and that sort of thing. So that would be kind of my advice for the different grade levels and the the two different levels of students, you know, for teachers starting to work with all those grade levels. But I, I really, I really think be a teacher that if you have the opportunity to teach at different grade levels, absolutely do it. It is a, a different personality at all the grade levels and you'll really start learning where you really find the, the group of kids that you want to teach. You're going to find that personality or it's, it's not like a personality of a certain you know kid. It's a personality of like that grade level and which totally. one really resonates with you. And then, uh, then you're just going to be like, man, you, you want to see passion for teaching it if, if, when it all clicks together and you find that one grade level that works with you with that one discipline that you're teaching with those conversations that you want to have at that level, it just clicks and you are going to be, uh, you know, in your sweet spot for
0: sure. Wow. That was so helpful. I'm just so grateful for you taking the time to be here, but I, before I let you go, I want to ask you one more thing. And that's mm-hmm. what I ask all my guests. And that's, what's one way that you have simplified your life recently? And it could be school-related or just home and life-related, just really anything that you're doing or maybe you've stopped doing just to make your life feel more simplified.
1: I'll tell you, a game changer for me that has simplified my life has to be online grocery shopping. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Right. If this whole idea that I can just get my groceries, put them in 11 p.m. and they're there for me the next morning at 8.30 and I just throw them in the back of my car. What a huge time saver. That would be my life hack. I still talk to people like, what do you mean you're not doing curbside grocery service? What do you mean you still walk up and down the aisles? Do you know how much time you can save?
0: I mean, <laughs> so- <laughs> it's crazy. And I'm even thinking like, we had a bunch of sick kids in my house a couple of weeks ago. And it was like 4 a.m. And I like ordered ginger ale and saltines and Pedialyte. And at like 9 yes. a.m. it was on my doorstep. And I was <laughs> yes. like, what is this bougie life that I'm living? My mom's always like, you have no idea what it was like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I really, it is It is crazy. I told my husband, you know, it is an expense, but we, we worked the budget. We were like, while we have all these little kids, this is like, so worth the extra cost just to, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had to go the other day with all three and my, we live in a small town and we only have one grocery store with one cart. That's a double cart. So if someone's using it, that means I'm wearing the baby. And then the other two are just like feral, like running through the aisles because they can't can't agree on who gets to sit in the cart. (laughs) So no one sits in the cart, you know, and it's just like, I'm apologizing to every person we see. I'm like, I'm so sorry, you know? Grabbing yes. things off the aisles, but I'm like grocery delivery really is where it's at. Yeah, I'm just, uh, and, and you know, if you didn't have delivery, I'm you don't even
1: know where I live now. There's no delivery out here. I live out in the middle of ranch country. I'm in ranch country, mm-hmm. but just even driving, just to yes. pick it up, even if the you just do that, up. guys. I'm telling you game changer. I mean, it really I've had is. and it helps hours. the budget
0: because you're like at your house while you're grocery shopping. And so you can see like, oh, I don't need to buy ranch because we literally still have ranch, you know? Exactly. I feel exactly. like it really helps not in that regard up, too.
1: You're not picking up those little snacks that you'd be like, oh, yes. wow, those fresh loaf of French bread. Really? I need it right now for my snack on the way home. I will yes. definitely grab that whole fresh hot loaf of bread. But totally. But then at the same time, I am sad sometimes because I will be sitting at night and be
0: like, Oh, I could really use a hot loaf of French bread. If only I- <laughs> you know. The pros and cons. Exactly. You can't have it all, Erica.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out a way one day. Truly. But- <laughs> really.
0: Well, hey, thank you so much for being here. And what is the best way for listeners to connect with you? I'll link all of your things in the show notes. Thanks. But if you're going to like tell them right now, find me here, what would be the best place for them to find you?
1: Yes. Really, you find me uh, the two places I'm... Most active on is Instagram, and you can DM me there or on TikTok, or you can always just email me, Erica at science.com. I'm always there, you know, just because um, I feel like I live on my computer, but um, that's where you can find me. Come check me out. If you want more demo ideas, my TikTok platform is definitely for demos because I, I want to show in less than a minute, how you can do this demo, I try to explain it. So that's kind of where my TikToks stay. And then my Instagram is we share a lot of resources, a lot of free resources that link you to different websites for earth science teachers, physical science teachers. So it's not just uh, nitty gritty science products, we really keep that whole platform. We're always trying to share resources that we've kind of scoured the internet for and we curated this collection yes. of resources so if you um are looking for different things to help teach or manipulatives or you know pdfs and that sort of thing that is what instagram is for and it's been for for a long time so you could scroll way back and you can go uh, find a lot of amazing free resources that are out there so you know depending on what you want that's where you can
0: find us Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm just so grateful for your time This and was all your wonderful. Wisdom.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. This was absolutely wonderful. So thank you listeners. It's been
0: my absolute pleasure and I hope to see you out in the World Wide Web. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and my conversation with Erica. As always, you can connect with her and find any and all links mentioned in the show notes, which can be found at com slash episode 61. And don't forget, if you are looking for a last-minute Valentine's Day-themed science activity to do with your students this week, I have got you covered. Head to bit.ly inrsvday to grab my four free Valentine's Day activities for secondary science teachers. You can also find that link clickable in the show notes. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.